Why don't we stand one more time for the reading of God's Word? We are back in Psalm 1, and as you know, we are going to spend some time looking at Psalm 1, 2, and 3. At least that's the commitment. And so Psalm 1 uh, is where we still find ourselves. Let's just read the whole psalm together. Beginning in verse 1, this is what the Word of God says. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the, of, the, of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers." The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, or the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We pray one more time with me, please. Well, Father, we look to you now for your help, for your blessing. We look to your spirit to fill and to endow us with your uh, presence, Lord, that you would be pleased to move and to bless your word as it is being preached. We pray that your spirit would be pleased to move among us and to drive the truth of your word home into our hearts, Lord, that you would change us from the inside. We don't want to be those that are merely changed on the outside, washed on the outside. As Jesus said, we don't want to clean the outside of the cup and the inside is full of dead men's bones, as it were. Lord, we want to be genuinely changed by your truth. And so, Father, now, right now, begin to do away with distraction and give us focus into your word so that we might profit from it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we come now to verse 3 of this psalm, and we're really looking at the whole concept of, of being fruitful, a fruitful life. That's really what we're looking at here. And if you would, verse 1, we really talked about what it looked like to, to, to be that blessed man and to not listen to the counsel of the, of the wicked or the ungodly and not to identify with those sorts of things. Verse 2 really set forth a foundation for everything because there we are positively instructed to delight in the law of God. That's, that is really the fountain of every blessing spiritually in the believer's life is our connection to the Word of God. Everything that I'm going to say today is really based and rooted and grounded in that awesome reality of our habitual and continual um, uh, receiving of the ministry of the Word of God in our lives. Uh, the Word of God is, is, is what energizes everything. It feeds everything. It fuels everything. It informs everything in the life of the believer. Is it any wonder why the Bible tells us to abide in the Word? But here in verse 3, we come now to the fruition of all of this. What does it mean 
on the one hand, negatively, not to delight in what the wicked delight in, number one, and number two, to delight positively in the Word of God. What is the result coming to us from that? Well, it is this life of being uh, 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 fruitful in the kingdom of God's church, as it were. He says again, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. And so that's our focus. And let me begin on the negative. When we talk about a fruitful life, we should quickly try to eliminate what a fruitful life consists of or does not consists of. We cannot identify a truly fruitful life in Christ consisting mainly of our circumstances, our situation. Um, Just because we are going to have a fruitful life in Christ, or that's the idea, it doesn't mean that it will be a life devoid of suffering, devoid of trial. You know the scriptures. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus assures us in this life you will have a, a tribulation, the Greek word thalipsis, meaning crushing. Uh, we will go through battles and struggles and trials and tribulation, and we will suffer, especially if we seek to live godly, as Paul tells us. So we can't imagine for a second that a life that is fruitful, truly bountiful, truly growing in Christ is going to be devoid of what we are, are, are taught to perceive in our culture, in our world, to be things that show that your life are, is actually bad. Because you have, you have trials, you have suffering, uh, you have been subjected to affliction. Now turn with me in your Bibles, please, to... Second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. There are so many texts that we can go to, but wouldn't you agree with me that the Apostle Paul is an example of a fruitful life in Christ? I think so. But when you think about, and I think coming from a ministry perspective, we would all want to have a fruitful ministry like Paul's. Right? That's kind of the goal. But when you look at Paul's life, what do you see? You don't see a life devoid of difficulty. As a matter of fact, you see the contrast is stark, and it's totally the opposite. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Listen to his words here. He says, To the present hour we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed. That's not typically the way a, a, your typical pastoral ministry journal is going to begin. That's typically not the way the the, the ministry manual is going to start for budding young preachers. As a matter of fact, he says, we are roughly treated and we are homeless. Wow. We toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, and even until now, Welcome to the fruitful life. And that will only be a surprise to you if you have this misunderstanding of what a fruitful, bountiful, blessed Christian life looks like. It is not devoid of trial. It is not devoid of tribulation. And it does not consist of, mainly, 
some experience that we have personally, taking it all the way to the other extreme end. Just because you have experienced high emotional ecstatic things in Christianity, that, that is not the heart. We're looking for the heart of it, the essence of it, the very, the very soul of what it means to be what Psalm 1 is telling us. You know where it comes from? It comes from our vital union with Christ. Turn to John chapter 15, please. John chapter 15, because you know this verse, even though it's a basic, fundamental passage, and many of us know it inside and out, it really does remind us where life is found. Listen, life is not found in ministry. Uh, Life is not found in theological knowledge by itself. It is not that the, the, the substance and soul and essence of the Christian life is found merely in the things that we do externally. It really begins on a mystical, or we could even say on a spiritual level. And that is with our union with Christ. That's why theologians describe it as a vital union. Because what they're trying to aim at is they're trying to show us that our union with Christ is a life-giving union. It's a a life-sustaining union. It's vital. It's thriving. It's alive. Uh, we, We get sustenance from this union that we have. That's why he says, John chapter 15, verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them, they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, watch now, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's a remarkable passage. By the way, you read the commentaries, and you watch them try to figure out how to interpret that verse. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Hmm. Back to Psalm 1. That is a direct connection, I believe, with what's going on here in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is telling us how to have this fruitful, bountiful life. How to be blessed and even, listen to the word here, how to prosper spiritually in Christ. And therefore, as we look at this, I want to show you what this is all connected to. Number one. And these are basic fundamental points that all of us should be able to recite over dinner tonight. Number one, the fruitful life is connected to God's word. Surprise? No, it's not a surprise. It's very simple, very fundamental. But it's something that we all, no matter how sophisticated we are in our own Christian understanding, we tend to forget. And that simple means of grace Isn't it remarkable? And having you, to this point, been even a bit surprised in yourself, that as simple as that is, that what I'm saying is that a fruitful, genuinely fruitful Christian life happens in connection with God's Word, then why is it, brothers and sisters, that we neglect the Word so much in our own lives? Let's be honest. That at times, if we're honest with ourselves, we look at our souls and we ask ourselves, why are we parched? Why are we dry? Why are we uh, discontent? Why does it feel like we need something more? Well, here we're going to get the, the, the importance of being connected to God's Word through a metaphor, right? Because he says, like a tree, he says, planted by the streams of water. 
Now, he uses this simple, basic Sunday school level metaphor to help us to understand this vital union that we're talking about and how we need to continue in this union to commune with God and through his word. And he says the streams of water, that's what that represents. The streams of water representing that source of nutrition, that source of vitality, that source of life. And it comes from this. Now, We should realize here first, as he says, he will be like a tree. So that's you and me. We're a tree, right? So get the picture going in your your mind. And then the next thing that he says is that we are all shatal. We are planted by the streams of water. What's interesting about that Hebrew word is that it literally means to be transplanted. Did you have that in your mind? It means to be taken out of dry places, parched places, places that are arid and devoid of life-giving you know, water, and to be uprooted out of there and to be planted in a right place. I only bring that up because it's important for us to understand God has done everything that we need Him to do in order for us to thrive. We'll get to that more. But it is by being rooted and grounded by The law of God. So here when he says the streams of water, that is going back to verse 2. Our delight is in the law of the Lord. That's how we're going to flourish. That's how we're going to be built up is by meditating and soaking in the word of God. Listen to me. What we need in our Christian life is the word everywhere. Uh, We need to, when he says here, remember, he meditates on his law day and night. It is his way of saying For the Christian life to flourish, you need to have the Word of God ministering to you everywhere and at all times. We need to meditate on God's Word. We need to read God's Word. We need to study God's Word. We need to hear the Word of God being preached to our souls. And listen now, there is no substitute for it. There's no substitute. You take a tree. The tree is struggling. It's dying. It's got branches and twigs that are falling off because it's dying. You can put any nutrient you can buy at Home Depot into the ground to try to make it grow. But if you do not give it H2O, it will die. And that's the same thing with the Christian life. You can give your life anything you want. Fellowship, ministry, friends, technology, uh, you know, Bible software whatever you want. But if you do not feed your life with the Word of God, then you will struggle. You will struggle. You will have all the appearance of life, just like a tree, but if you were able to detect what's going on in that tree, you would realize that inside the roots are dying because it's not connected to the life-giving power of the water and for us, the Word. You see, We cannot make the fundamental mistake that we can just simply be stagnant in our faith. The Bible, we're talking about having a fruitful life. The Bible teaches that we need to be pursuing growth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a command. We are commanded to pursue spiritual maturity. And furthermore... Point number two, the fruitful life is productive in God's kingdom. How do you know that 
the word has taken root in your heart, how do you know that you are truly flourishing and being fruitful, right? Well, there's got to be evidence of it. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5, because standing behind the text of John chapter 15 is Isaiah chapter 5, which is interesting, and I think this is remarkable, I think hermeneutically, because what we find is time and again, what happens on a massive historical scale to the nation of Israel, the whole nation actually has application for you and I personally. It's amazing. And that's exactly what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 repeatedly says that these things happen to Israel as a nation for us, as examples for us, so that we would not fall into the same traps that they did. And look at the trap they fall into here. Isaiah chapter 5, I guess we can start in verse 1. It said, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around. He removed its stones. He planted it in the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced only worthless ones. This is the nation of Israel saying God had cultivated Israel in every way imaginable. He took them out of bondage, took them out of Egypt, took them out of slavery. He brought them across the the, the Jordan. He defeated all of their enemies. He brought them into the promised land. He gave them everything that they needed for national prosperity. And when God had so lavished these blessings on Israel, He expected it to bear fruit. We could say good fruit, keeping with repentance, but they did not. He expected to see good fruit. It says, but it only produced worthless ones. And it goes on to really chronicle why and how Israel, by falling into idolatry, ended up going into Babylon and taken captive for a multitude of years. The lesson here is so simple for us. God has given us everything. We have union with Christ. We have his word and his spirit. We have the means of grace. We have the church. God has taken us out of our despair, out of our sin, out of our dry places, if you would. And he has given us everything that we need in order to flourish. And so the question now is examine yourself to see are you being productive He expected it to bear fruit, good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. We should seriously take stock of our own lives to say, are we taking advantage of the streams of water that God has put in our path, that God has provided for our flourishing? Let's just talk a little bit here about serving the Lord. Uh, Serving the Lord is not an option for a Christian. Every single one of us is called to serve Him. Uh, Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. Talk, you know, what does a productive life in Christ look like? Well, here's a very tangible, practical example. This is a good place for you to start and to begin to examine and to look, does my life match up to this? Beginning in verse 9. Romans 12, after all the great heights and depths of the gospel and the doctrines of the gospel that Paul gave us from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, here in verse 12 he begins to get really practical. And in verse 9 he says this, this is a fruitful life, is what I'm arguing, that a life 
that is blessed and that is productive in Christ, in His kingdom, in His church, looks like this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Notice the emphasis on the heart. It all begins with the heart. It's not just about doing a bunch of things, but it's about being a certain kind of person in Christ that you're supposed to be. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. That uh, becomes increasingly difficult for people, um, especially in a culture like ours where evil is everywhere. It's presented to you at every turn, every venue, everywhere you go, everything you look at in this life tends to carry the capacity to present evil to you. It's like what John says in 1 John chapter 2. He says, you know, the, the lustful, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the prideful boast of life, all of these things. These are not of the Father. This is of the wicked one. And that's everywhere. That's this life, this world. It says here, but abhor what is evil. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. So you see, this is the Apostle Paul being a good pastor and trying to kick his people in the pants and say, go! He's saying, be fervent in spirit. Oh, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but for me, there's nothing more attractive spiritually than finding a disciple who is fervent in spirit, who is zealous for the Lord. What did Jesus tell the churches, the church of, I think it's the church of Ephesus in Revelation? He says, be zealous. Zeal is just rare today. Be zealous, he says. Be fervent in spirit. Same idea, serving the Lord. How can you be bored as a Christian, in other words? If you have eyes to see, then you can see that there is ample ways for you to be serving the Lord in your own life, in your own context, in your own church, in your own community, or wherever God has you. You can serve the Lord, serving the Lord. Start a Bible study at work. Go door-to-door in your neighborhood. Uh, You know, the holidays are coming up, what, in a few months or something like that? Take cookies to your neighbors and wish them Merry Christmas and then hand them a gospel track. There's multitudes of ways. We have eyes to see. Really, it's endless. Or go to the Middle East. That's comparable, right? (laughs) Cookies on Christmas, Middle East. Rejoicing in hope. Uh, it's, It's nice to be around people that are rejoicing. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Godly perseverance through tribulation. That's also very attractive. Notice he doesn't say grumble and complain in tribulation. Tell us all how bad it is all the time in tribulation. No, no, no. Persevere. Know that the Lord is for you. Proclaim his excellencies. Uh, Speak of his faithfulness. Devoted to prayer. Contribute, devoted to prayer. That's a sermon, and that'll make me ditch my sermon, so I better hurry. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Boy, practicing hospitality. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, My beloved, be steadfast, immovable. Listen to this now. Always abounding 
in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You will face discouragement because that's what life in Christ entails. The Apostle Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians about being depressed. I remember preaching 2 Corinthians, coming on that verse and thinking, that is so encouraging to hear that Paul got depressed. (laughs) To know that we're not alone in Christ. That we're not alone in the war, the battle, onward Christian soldier. Because we are in a battle. We are in a constant war against sin, the flesh, and the devil. And those enemies, by the way, will never let up to the minute that you die. Never forget seeing an interview with J.I. Packer now well into his 90s. He's interviewed about what it, what, it's mean to, what, what it has meant to live a life in Christ. I mean, the man has written hundreds of books. He's done forwards for thousands of books. Um, he's now lost his sight can't read anymore. And I remember that interview, J.I. Packer, a, a spiritual giant, really, says that what amazes him now coming to the end of his race, he says, is that the closer he gets to the glory of God, the more vile he realizes that he is. See, those enemies will never let up. So if you're expecting that sin, the flesh, and the devil are just going to kind of, you know, politely go away, then you don't understand the nature of the already not yet eschatological kingdom of God. Which means, no matter what, we are going to go through tribulation here. It's going to be a test. It's going to be a fight. And therefore, Scripture calls us to be fruitful for our own good. Let me just read you some of these verses again on being productive, right? Ecclesiastes 9.10 gives us a general principle when it says, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. I remember being a young Christian and listening and hearing that verse being preached. And I remember, you know, that just does not characterize my life right now. But it should, especially for the glory of God. Think about these politicians. Can you imagine that you guys watch any of the, any of the political I guess you can call it a circus. The recent presidential election, you know what's astounding about that? John Piper was pointing this out, and I thought, that's so right. Hillary Clinton is how old? Uh, I mean, I think she's like in her 70s, right, if I'm not wrong. Donald Trump is 70 years old. And these guys are flying on planes, multiple speaking engagements every day, getting up, getting down, going on stages, traveling around, meeting and greeting thousands of people, signing signatures, doing interviews, reading, you know, uh, tele- telecompter, uh, prompters or whatever, you know, doing all these speeches, speaking in front of thousands of people, which public speaking is actually the number one phobia in the world. They're doing all this at 70. And we can't get on a plane to go on a missionary trip because we'd rather be in Starbucks and air condition. What? If they can do it for political sweat, we should do it even more for kingdom sweat. How much more? Philippians 1 says, Abound still more and more in real knowledge. Colossians tells us, He says, you received Christ, walk in Him, having been firmly rooted 
And now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. And then the verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You hear that? We are designed to have good works. We are designed to be productive in the kingdom of God. And you know what's so amazing about this is that there is not only an expectation of productivity, there is also, there's also a promise of protection, as it were. Because it says not only that we will be planned, uh, firmly planted by streams of water and we will yield fruit in season, therefore we must be productive, but there's also a promise our leaf will not wither. How about practically speaking? When we're not in the Word, let's be honest, when we are not in the Word, we wilt and we wither and we die spiritually in the sense of practically, not positionally, but you know what I mean. We, we experience, in, in a sense, spiritual decay because we're not feasting on, on it. There's a, we're, and you can throw anything you want at your soul, but if you're not connected to the vine and if you're not being watered by the water of the Word, you're not going to survive. I have a tree in my front yard Actually, if you come out my front door, it's the one on the left, if you're interested. That tree is a parable. From the day we moved there, it's been dying. And I have tried everything to bring it to life. I bang on the tree. I kick the tree. I pull on the tree. I, have, I had the gardener out there pulling on the tree, doing things. Everyone has had a shot at it. And nothing's working. And so, if that tree does not get the water that it needs, it will die. You can pull on it, you can stretch it, you can go to Home Depot, buy fertilizer for it, you can, you know, put things into the ground. It doesn't matter. If it's not getting water, and that's been the problem, it's not getting water in the right place, it will die. That's exactly how we are. If we do not get the life-giving power of the Word of God to, to, to nourish us, we will die. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. What a magnum opus of covenantal life that book is. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Because what I'm telling you, I believe, is the same thing, again, that Moses told the children of Israel, although in a proleptic and on a national scale for us personally this holds just as true for us as it did for them deuteronomy chapter 32 beginning of verse 45 says when moses had finished speaking all these words to israel that's the words of the covenant all the words that he had promised he said to them take to your heart all the words with which i am warning you today which you shall command your sons to observe them carefully all the words of this law, for it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. By this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So in other words, if you want to flourish 
in the promised land. If you want to flourish uh, in, in, in what God has promised you, you need to abide in this word. He says this word is not idle. So I pray today one of the things that happens is that you walk out of here looking at your Bible with a different potential. That that book that sits on your desk or your shelf or in your car or on the nightstand, that that book has the ability to give you life. Of course, if you're not a Christian, to give you eternal life, to give you life uh, in Christ, salvific life, redemptive life, to bring you out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. But if you are a Christian, to give you perpetual life, to strengthen your life in Christ. Third point, not only is a fruitful life connected to the Word of God, not only is a fruitful God to be productive in the kingdom of God through His Word, but a fruitful life is also prospered by God's grace. And again, I, I make the qualification maybe for anyone that's here and doesn't really, uh, and maybe you're not a member here, or you're not among us here, or you don't know us well enough yet, but when we speak of prosperity, we do not mean what the crazy people on television are talking about in terms of prosperity with their bling bling and their, you know, private jets and all of that. It has nothing to do with that. That is a demonic, debased doctrine. Biblical prosperity is, first of all, spiritual. It is within it speaks of the constitutional state of your soul. It speaks about where you are spiritually in terms of your sanctification, whether you are growing, whether you are going forward or going backwards. But it also has, it also has a very practical, real-life experience. I believe, if you go back to Psalm chapter 1, I believe that when the psalmist declares... It will yield its fruit in its season, its leaf will not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. I do believe that there is a practical, uh, there's a practical principle that's going on here that does entail practical, real-life prosperity. So if that shocks you, I'll try to prove it to you. But notice first, look at the exegesis here of this passage. Because if you notice... By the time you get to verse 3, the last clause, which is D, right? First clause, be like a tree planted by streams of water. Second clause, yields its fruit in its season. Third clause, and its leaf does not wither. Fourth clause, the metaphor is over. In whatever he does, he prospers. In other words, we're expected to go from the metaphor to the reality that it represents and apply this directly to ourselves. To say we're no longer talking about a tree anymore. We're talking about a person. And that person is prospered by God by virtue of what has gone before. And, and, and notice here too, you have to be careful here with how we talk about this because notice what he says. Whatever he does. Actual Hebrew word there for does. It's not just a translation. It's speaking about his fruitfulness that goes back to the second clause, which he yields its fruit in its season. Whatever he does, that's the fruit. 
So that's the parallel. In other words, these are good deeds that you're doing, born out of your constant meditation of the Word of God that goes back to the streams of water at the beginning of the verse. In other words, God is not just blessing people whatever He desires. That's where the prosperity movement gets it all wrong. It thinks it's just whatever you want, whatever, whatever is your fancy. No, according to this verse, the prosperity that it's talking about is that which flows right out of Yahweh's law that you've been meditating day and night and you are fruitful in the meditation and in the internalization of the Word of God and outcomes productivity that is godly, that is in keeping with God's Word, and that's what God blesses. That's what God prospers, an obedient, productive life that is rooted in His Word. There's also a selfless component here. Sidney Gradonis, in his commentary on Psalms, really more like a manual on how to preach the Psalms Christ-centeredly, he talks about how, and many other commentators do as well, now that the notion that is being conveyed here is that, of a, is, is that of the fruit of the tree that is enjoyed by others. I mean, it's kind of common sense, right? It's basic. Fruit, uh, trees don't eat their own fruit. It's the last time you saw a tree pick up a piece of fruit and start eating it. It doesn't happen. They're bearing fruit for others to delight in that fruit. So therefore, when God is prospering us according to the way... It is of such a prosperity that others benefit from our fruit. It's not that we benefit ourselves by being selfish in the way that God blesses us personally. But at the same time, I want to bring in a balance here to say this. Because I believe strongly that God God provides for His children. He does bless His children. Let me say this in a general way. God does bless the life of His people. I think you would agree with me that, that uh, God blesses our lives in all, all sorts of different ways, but sometimes sovereignly it is His good pleasure. And I think generally speaking, I, say, I would say this is the case, that when we are walking in His ways, God is often willing to bless us materialistically. In other words, with a good home, a good job, a good family, fellowship, a good church, a good conscience. Those are, the, those are sometimes the byproduct of walking in righteousness. Not every one of us is going to be Job. I think that sometimes we have a view of that, that if God is blessing us materialistically, we'd be careful to claim that. I don't think so. This church is full of praise reports. Hey, you know that job I was praying about? I got that job. Praise God. Who else is going to get the glory for that? But God alone. And I think, that's, I think that's, um, that's a principle that if you turn it in the reverse, wouldn't, wouldn't we testify, and I think we can go person by person in here, that we can testify that at times when we are not walking in His will, what tends to suffer? Marriage suffers, the home suffers, the bill suffers, the income suffers, the vehicles suffer, the job suffers. It's just a dysfunction that we unleash into our lives when we don't walk in His ways. Therefore, 
there's a principle here, I think, of sowing and reaping. L- look with me there. First, uh, look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, because this is important for us. And this is just one example of a principle in Scripture, but I think it's generalized. The principle is universalized almost when he quotes it. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, there's going to be an admonition to financially remunerate pastors, teachers, right? The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one that teaches him. Do not be deceived. And then he quotes a general proverbial truth. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And then he says, For the one who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. What is he trying to say? What he's trying to say is the basic general principle of sowing and reaping applies to ecclesiastical spheres as well as monetary spheres. In other words, if you are a wise Uh, prudent and frugal investor, you can expect to get a return. But if you are irresponsible, if you are lazy, if you are haphazard, you can expect for your business company, your, your financial ventures to fail. So that's a general principle that's taught everywhere in the Word of God. And here we are being told that God prospers those that walk in righteousness. I, I just I felt burdened today to say that because I don't want us to have such a hyper-spiritual view of what the psalmist is talking about, that it has no practical application to our daily lives, to our bank account. It does. God does bless us there. But when he does bless us, as we've already said, it's for the benefit of others. It's to bless others mainly. So if you go back to Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1. How do we connect all of this to Christ? I told you we would end on this point at every turn, and this is no different. I can see at least three different ways that this verse in Psalm 1 points us to Jesus Christ. Let me just give you one. I think a pathway to Christ here is that the prosperity that we find promised in Psalm 1 is taken to new heights and the whole notion of being blessed by God is, uh, is, is, is expressed primarily as lavishing others with our fruit. And I think that is so clearly seen in the life of Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. That if we live like this, if we blossom like this, because we are rooted and grounded in the word of God, we will become more like Christ. Because it's just selflessness. It's being selfless. Your fruit is for others. You have a gift, use it. Can you sing? Sing. Can you play? Play. Can you write? Write. Can you preach? Preach. Uh, Can you do website stuff? Do website stuff. Are you a photographer? Are you you good with technology? Use it all for the glory of God. Don't hide your gift. God didn't give you that gift to be sitting there marveling at the fact that God gave you the gift. He gave you the gift for other people to enjoy it. Right? 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation and love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same love, same Spirit, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Watch this now. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. And then verse 5 is remarkable because he says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ. And actually, the Greek word there just literally means mind. Have this mind in yourself, even as Christ did. When God blesses you, prospers you, builds you up, when you are flourishing in the Christian life, Everyone else should benefit from the fruit of that. That is not for you to keep, to hoard, even if it's financial. I mean, especially, right? The Apostle Paul tells the rich in Ephesus, as he's warning Timothy, he says, tell the rich among you to be generous. In other words, God is not blessing you with extraordinary wealth so that everyone else would just sit and marvel at you having it. It's God has positioned you uniquely so that you can in turn be more like Christ in lavishing others with the abundance of your wealth. Christ blessed us, didn't he? He had wealth. He had riches. He had all the glory in the universe. And that's not even, you can't encapsulate it. And what does Philippians 2 say? He laid that glory aside. He came down as a slave for you and for me. When God blesses us, let us in turn bless others. You know what the Bible says? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, there is no prosperity. There is no blessing. There is no blessed man righteous man without being like Christ. We do not attain to Psalm 1 unless we are more like your son Jesus. And like Jesus who was firmly planted by the streams of water and had a perfect union with your word, perfect communion with the Father and was blessed And we all benefit from his exaltation and his obedience. In the same way, Lord, I pray that as we abide in your word, abide in your truth, abide in you, and as you build us up, as you prosper us, as you gift us, we pray that the fruit of our our lives would be for the edification of our brethren. Help us, Lord, to use our resources, our time, Help us to use the gifts that you've given us to build others up for your kingdom and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.